0: Hi, everybody. My name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Really glad that you are here today. Welcome to the show. So we are in a series right now called For the Love of Powerhouse Women. I'm assuming the title of the series will tell you all you need to know if you haven't already been listening. Um, We're just talking to some of the greats right now, honestly, some of the smartest, most inspiring women out there right now. In every sector, we've got them in business, and we have them in public service, and they're kind of just all over the map. And I mean, these are just women who are killing it. That's kind of the short story. So wait until you meet our next guest. I am excited to put her in front of you. She is indeed a powerhouse who has overcome, which we'll talk about, and then also accomplished just so much in her young years. So her name is Nona Jones, and she is a national speaker and author. And right now, she is the head of faith-based partnerships at this little um, startup company that you may or may not have heard of called Facebook. So before she got to Facebook, Nona actually held executive leadership roles all across the private in public and nonprofit sectors. In fact, she was actually appointed to an executive role at a fortune 100 company when she was 23 years old. Um, Wait until you hear how she got that job. I mean, it's pretty gutsy. Like I just grinned through the whole story. So she's, led award-winning initiatives in public affairs she has brokered multi-million dollar business deals she's addressed the united nations she's championed juvenile justice and educational policy reform up in congress i mean all under the age of 35 so i mean she is a heavy hitter so Naturally and obviously, Essence magazine named her an under 40 woman to watch, which is a real honor. And if she wasn't already just full enough, she and her husband lead a church together in Gainesville, Florida. And they have two beautiful sons. You're going to want to go look at pictures of their family because it's like belongs on a magazine cover. So she is impressive and smart and wise and godly. And I loved this conversation with her. I just felt my own soul felt nourished by it. And so um, I think you're really going to be just encouraged and inspired by her approach to life and success and how humble and generous and sincere she is. And so excited to introduce you to her. Really happy that you've downloaded this one today, you guys. Please to share my conversation with the very, very wonderful Nona Jones. All right. So Nona, such a warm welcome to you. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm I'm tickled that you're on today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is a true honor. Thank you.
0: Oh my gosh. Listen, you've just flown in. You haven't slept. You're like in the clothes you probably wore yesterday. I mean, you're just a star. Thanks for squeezing this in. I am
1: so serious. <laughs> I'm so glad it's not recorded video because you would be like, what is happening with her? She does not. Oh, sister. Oh,
0: look, if podcasts had to be recorded, I would not be the host of one. I mean, that is just a fact Um, I'm always sitting here like in yesterday's yoga pants. Yeah. And yeah, this is this is not a video situation. So we're both in good shape. So listen, Nona, I have filled in my listeners with a little bit about who you are. And you're just kind of wildly impressive resume. Um, But one of my favorite things to do um, is to hear about how very smart, very gifted people like you get to be where they are, right? You didn't start here. And so I always like to roll it back to the beginning to hear about where you started. So I'm wondering if you can tell me and my listeners a little bit about your growing up years, like where are you from and who was in your family and what were you like as a kid? And um, did you ever see any hints in your young life that this might be the path that you walked?
1: Wow. 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 I mean, the, the short answer is no. Um, and to give you some color to that, so I was I was born in the summer of 1982 in New Jersey, and um, my mom and my dad had actually been married for 15 years um, when I was born. And my my father had wanted to be a dad from the moment that he married my mom, but my mom didn't want children. To give you some backstory on her, um, she grew up in a home with 11 other brothers and sisters. Uh, two-bedroom house, very, very poor, um, but she and her siblings would regularly watch her father beat their mother within an inch of her life. Um, oh, a lot, lot of violence, gosh. just a lot of anger and hostility, um, just a really bad situation. And my mom actually started to run away from home when she was like five. She started to leave the house wow. her for days. And just reemerge. And so I think, you know, the combination of the violence that she saw uh, in the household, um, combined with, you know, she also had some, I believe, mental illness, because in the third grade, she actually pushed a teacher down a flight of stairs um, from school for that. Um, But my mom had a lot of just um, anger within her. So she didn't want children. And my dad did. So, you know, 15 years into marriage, finally pregnant, she didn't want me, but my dad did. And halfway through the pregnancy, my dad started to have stomach pain and, uh, he went to the doctor just to have some tests run and they diagnosed him with terminal stomach cancer and they gave him six months to live. And, uh, he was only 34 at the time. So if you can imagine, um, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. Uh um, but he he fought really hard, and he lived um, until two months shy of my second birthday. And it was wow. at that point that my mom moved us from New Jersey um, down to Florida, um, and she was she was essentially following after a guy who she barely knew, um, but he promised to take care of her. And so uh, shortly after we moved, their relationship basically fell apart. And over the course of a couple of years, there was a bunch of men that came in and out of her life and in and out of my life. And I was really young, but I just remember, I just remember a lot of men being around. And mm. uh, when I was around five, she met a guy who became her live-in boyfriend. And mm. what she didn't know is, you know, when she wasn't around, um, he would hug me, you know, close mm. to his body and hold me close to his body. Yeah. And so I developed a fear of him at a pretty early age um, but, uh, my mom's sister passed away and she told me that she had to go to her funeral and she was going to leave me with him. And I said, mommy, no, please take me with you. I'll be good. I won't ask for anything. And she basically said she couldn't afford to. And so she left me with him. And, uh, the very first night that she left me, um, I locked my bedroom door because I was, mm. with him. but I, uh, I learned that night that a straightened wire hanger could, um, pick me oh, up. Man. Darn it! And that's how he got in my room. Um, that was the first time mm. I was violated. I was about five. Um, and between the ages of about five and 11, there was a tremendous amount of sexual abuse, physical mm. abuse, verbal, emotional abuse. Um, when I was nine, I actually tried to take my life. And um, when I was 11, mm. I tried to do it again. And that's yeah. part of the reason why, like when I hear about kids taking their life, um, it doesn't just make me sad. It actually, mm. it actually just takes me back to a very dark place because I, I'm sure. I know what it's like to be that young and really feel yeah. like you have no reason to live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like my, I had no, I, as a matter of fact, because of what was happening to me in elementary school, um, I acted out a lot. Um, I was the kid who talked back. Um, I couldn't really concentrate in class because there was so much chaos at home. And so I got punished at school. I was told that I had a learning disability. I was placed in the corner of classrooms and told that, you know, I I was a distraction to the other kids. Um, I had so many labels placed on me that I really had no sense of purpose, value, identity, um, none of that. And I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I never heard the words Bible, church, Jesus, um, any of that. So I had no concept of a higher being. I had none of that, um, until a classmate of mine in the sixth grade invited me to church. And that's kind of when everything changed.
0: (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about that experience in sixth grade.
1: Yeah. So I was, um, I was 11 years old and, um, you know because of all that i had been through i was kind of a loner like i was kind of the shy kid i didn't have a lot of friends i'm an only child already so i didn't necessarily make friends super easily but um there was a girl in the 6th grade who said to me one day she was like hey you want to go to church with me this weekend and i was like sure i didn't know what it was but i was like i guess we're going to go to her house and hang out <laughs> hmm, wow. um and so uh went with her and her mom and you know i'll never forget like when we drove up to this building i remember people getting out of their cars and it was like families and they were holding hands yeah. and uh, it was something i just hadn't seen before and i was like wow these people are different and then yeah. when i uh, actually walked into the building. I remember this sense of just love and, and acceptance and people were genuinely happy to see me and they didn't even know me. Um, and so it was just so vastly different from what I had experienced both at home and school that I was immediately intrigued. And in that day, uh, the, the pastor preached a message about God being a father to the fatherless. Wow. Gosh. And goosebumps. That, yes. Like that hit me. Cause I, I had always thought, I, I remember crying myself to sleep so many times saying, daddy, I wish you were here. Daddy, you know, why aren't you here? I just, I remember, um, really wishing I had my father. And so, uh, when I heard that I was like, well, then who is this God? And so that hmm. really piqued my interest. And so. Um, I started to go to church with them, got involved in youth ministry, The the youth minister was so amazing. And Hmm. he began to speak life over me. And he was just like, because I would ask a lot of questions. Hmm. Um, I was very inquisitive as a child. And so I asked a lot of questions. And he said to me, he said, you know, Nona, he was like, you ask more questions than the adults I know. And I think that, you know, I, I look at life as kind of a series of forks in the road. Like there are Uh things that happen and you have to make a decision about which direction you're going to take. And, you know, when, when Jesus became Lord of my life, I came to this fork in the road where, you know, the abuse didn't stop. Um, the labeling didn't stop, but because I now had a higher sense of understanding about who I was created to be in God, I had to make a decision about whether I believed God or whether I believed what these people were saying. And so I chose um, to believe what God said about me. And that's when everything changed. I plugged into school. I started doing my work. Um, I actually got promoted to like honors classes in the middle of sixth grade. Wow. Um, And I I purposed in my heart. I was like, you know, I want to live up to the expectations that God has of me. Because up until then, I was really living down to the expectations people had of me. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really the, how my life transformed was, uh, coming into the knowledge of who I am in God. That is amazing.
0: And so that sort of healing path continued for you, I'm assuming through like middle school, through high school. Um, uh, how did you ever like separate from your abuser? How did, you know, how did you come sort of full circle and to be unhealthy?
1: Such a great question, and uh, it's it's actually an interesting question because, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of uh, success. Like I had a lot of accomplishment, a lot of achievement. Like when I started to apply myself, my grades drastically improved. I ended up getting like you know straight A's, and then right. I started getting involved in extracurriculars, and I became like captain of the dance team. And then I went to high school and became like president, and you know I, I was in all these leadership clubs and, and all these things. Uh, I had a lot of external success, but the truth is there were still parts of me that were very much so broken. And I think, um, you know, looking back on it, I had a whole lot of head knowledge about who I was in God and um, the, the need to forgive my mother and her boyfriend for what they did. I had a lot of head knowledge about that, but it hadn't yet really penetrated my heart. So I would say, you know, I was in my mother's house until I graduated high school and that's when I left and I never went back. Um, but the actual healing process didn't really happen for years. Um, because I think, I think what I did was I just, I experienced what I experienced and then I didn't deal with it cause I didn't know how, Sure. and right. I, kind of, how mm, would you? Yeah. And, and, and it's like, it's like, you know, a, a bag that you just kind of carry around with you. Uh, you know, it's still there whether you open it or not, it's still there and it's still weighing you down. And that's how I was. Uh, It took a lot, um, and it's kind of through my career that I was forced to to confront myself. Um, And I think in, you know, performance evaluations, I would get feedback about, you know, not being receptive to criticism, and I would get feedback like that. And I was like, I started to ask myself, I was like, why is it so hard for me to take constructive feedback? Like, why do I feel in my heart like I have to defend myself? And I realized that it was because there was still a um, an area of tenderness in my heart, in my spirit, sure. and it hadn't yet been made whole. So that's when I started to do the hard work and really oh, yeah. healing.
0: Oh, yeah. That's some real heavy lifting, and that's long-term, too. Oh, yeah. Um, getting to that point where you are healed and healthy no matter what anyone else says or does or doesn't do, or whether you had justice or whether there were, you know, amends ever made or, you know, that, that sort of health is, boy, that is an island you have to swim hard to. Um, And once you're there, you're free.
1: Yeah. And you know, something that I I discovered as I was kind of going through this process of healing is that, you know, we put a lot of stock in apologies. Like we Mm -hmm. put a lot of value on someone coming to us and saying, I'm sorry for what I did. But the truth is, an apology doesn't have any power, like yeah. it just—it just doesn't. It's words. If you think about it, like as children we're conditioned to apologize, not even because we're sorry, but just mm-hmm. because that's what's expected. And so there really is no power in apology. That's why the only power that we have to heal is forgiveness. Yeah, And that's the, that's the lesson that I had to learn is I had all this anger and bitterness and resentment um, sure. towards my mom and her boyfriend and other people who I felt were similar to them. And I realized like, man, they may not even be thinking about this stuff anymore. And here yeah. I am over here stewing in it. I don't, mm. you know, I, I don't sleep well at night. Um, and I had to realize that, man, forgiveness, forgiveness is essentially letting someone off the hook and discovering yeah. that it was you.
0: Oh my gosh. You're, I have banged this drum so many times mm-hmm. and forgiveness is also not, it's not us saying that was okay or right. that wasn't a big deal or that didn't hurt me or, you know, it is, it's not a, it's not a free pass um, for abuse or for terrible behavior at all. It can be incredibly one-sided. And then, but that's, that's real freedom for sure that it's not contingent on anybody else, except your own inner workings. I, I find that part of your story so powerful and it makes sense to me from a high level to then look and go, Oh, okay. I see how this informed your trajectory.
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: how this was a lot of fuel and strength for you as you moved forward. Hey, everybody, this is Jen. Just a quick pause because I'm really super excited to talk about one of our new sponsors um, that has actually been brought up multiple times in this podcast, most notably in one of our most thought-provoking episodes with my friend Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, She actually found out so many amazing things about her lineage and then used that information to further her activism work, and I kind of caught the bug. And so we're really happy to welcome a new sponsor, which is Ancestry.com. I am actually waiting on my own results from Ancestry right now. Here's what's cool specifically about Ancestry, which I've also heard from others who've used their service. It's this kind of wealth of information they give you about your family tree. That's really amazing geographic detail about your ancestors' journeys over time. So they have combined DNA results with over 100 million family trees, I mean, my gosh, billions of records to give you more insight into your genealogy and your origins. The, their level of detail is outstanding. And I i can't wait to get my results back um, to dig in a little bit deeper into my heritage. In the meantime, Ancestry is extending an, a great offer um, to listeners of our podcast. So for a limited time, when you go to Ancestry.com slash For the Love through May 13th, you guys, so not that long, through May 13th, you can get your Ancestry DNA kit for only $59. So that's a really great deal um, for the amazing amount of detailed info that you will get about your family history. So one more time, go to Ancestry.com slash for the love, for your $59 Ancestry DNA kit today. Okay, you guys, back to the show. I wonder if you can walk us forward um, not that far Mm -hmm. to... I mean, this is really impressive. Like getting a seat at the executive table at age 23. I mean, that's, that's, that's rare and special. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about how that happened and what that experience was like for you? Um, And then anything that you would even say to some of my younger listeners out there with similar ambition or similar drive and dreams, um, looking for a really strong home for their talent and energy, like how would you advise them, especially in that stage?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, <laughs> the way that even went down is amazing. So I, a year after I got out of college, first of all, I had planned on becoming a physician. I was going to go to medical school. Um, but I met my husband in, um, college, we decided to get married. We were going to stay, um, where we lived. And I was like, okay, well then I'll just kind of get a regular job and we can start to build our family that way. So, you know, got this job at, at um, a very large property and casualty insurance company. Um, You know, nationwide presence. And uh, a year into it, I saw a job posting that really spoke to me. It spoke to me. I was like, man, if I could have created a job, it would be this. Uh, But I read through the qualifications. It said that you needed like 10 years of experience, uh, needed 15 years of management experience. There was all these qualifications. And, uh, I remember I closed the, uh, the web browser cause I was like, well, I guess that takes me out of the running, but I couldn't get it out of my head. And like that night I just, I, I couldn't sleep cause I was just thinking like, wow, if I, if I could get this job, I could do this, I could do this with this and that. And so I applied for it, but then I prayed, I said, God, there are other people applying for this. I know there are, I said, how can I set myself apart? And so I just created this like um you know this presentation deck with like, you know, my ideas and strategies and relationships that I would build, et cetera. And I had it bound, I made it super professional. Nice. And I put it uh the, the next evening, I put it in the chair of the vice president who was hiring for the position. Huh. And, uh, mind you, I didn't know him. Uh, so great. I should not have been in his office, but I, I did so that. So great, and, I love it. Uh, left it there and then, um, you know, I, I didn't expect to really hear anything. I was hopeful I did, but I didn't expect to. The next day I got a call from the HR director and he was like, hey, Jeff, who was the, the vice president, He said Jeff wants to meet with you. And I was like, Oh Lord. At first I was like, like oh, am I in, I'm in trouble? trouble? You don't know which yeah. way that's going. <laughs> I was yes. like, Oh God, I'm going to get fired for going. Right. But, uh, no, I sat, sat down with him across from his desk with him and the HR director. They both had this look on their face. That was like bemusement. Like they were just, really, really, you know? and, uh, they basically like just talked to me about my ideas and, uh, yeah. what I found out. Uh, after the fact is, you know, Jeff was super impressed. He was and the HR director told me as he was walking me out, he said, you know, he's, I've hired thousands of people. He said, no one has ever done anything like that before. Mm. And so, uh, I got approved from him. I had to do like three other interviews and I ultimately got the job. And I think, you know, I learned several lessons from that. The first is to always remember that if, if you really do want something, um, you need to pursue it with excellence. Like, don't, don't pursue it, um, like everybody else, um, think about the value that you can add. And especially when you're in a business context, like it's all about value creation. Um, you know, where I work at now, we hire people, they don't even really have clear job descriptions. We just hire them because we believe they're smart and we believe they're capable. And that's the same way it is in most corporate settings. Now I will tell you the other side of the coin. And this is a question about what would I advise young people who have ambition is you know there's two different types of ambition there's a healthy ambition which is really fueled by a desire to make something better and there's unhealthy ambition which is fueled by a desire to prove your worthiness totally Um, i had unhealthy ambition Um, because, you know, again, like the the ramifications of the trauma that I experienced really left me feeling like I had to constantly prove that I was worthy. I had to get the titles, get the positions, you know, get the car, get the clothes. I had to get all these external indicators of worthiness. And so, um, you know, my, my career really took off from there, but it was fueled by what I consider to be a toxic ambition. And so the, the advice I always give to young people, when I talk to them is I, I always say, you know, check your heart, And make sure that your heart is pure as you're pursuing Mm. success. Because Joshua 1.8 says something really interesting. Um, God told Joshua when he was taking over leadership from Moses, he said, Mm. you know, if you just observe to do all that I've written, Mm. you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Mm. The qualifier good has always struck me as interesting because we think success in and of itself is a good thing. Um, but apparently there is a success that isn't good. So, oh, great point. So just kind of check your heart. And that's that's what I had to learn is, you know, I got all these accolades, but the accolades didn't necessarily add up to me feeling mm. like I mattered. It was until I really understood my worth and my value in God and took my identity from that, that yeah. I had contentment. But when I was taking identity oh, from positions and org charts and salaries, um, it never left me full. Totally. I identify with that so much. I don't know if you're uh, a nerd like
0: me who has fallen down the Enneagram hole. Oh, yeah. Um, Have you? I'm a three. (laughs) Are you? Are you a three? three. Yeah, I figured. I'm like, I know what she's saying. (laughs) I know what this is. I mean, it's true. Like wholeness, contentment, worth, it is an inside job. It does not matter how many awards you stick to the outside. And Mm -hmm. I've learned the same exact thing. That is. Mm -hmm interior work and ex- no successes or failures can affect it at that point mm-hmm. um i'm i'm nodding my head the whole time you're talking mm-hmm. i like, <laughs> so <laughs> deeply identify so let's move forward just a little bit because the next part of your story is really <laughs> pretty cool um really fascinated with your role at facebook mm-hmm. i wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about what you do there and what your goals are there but first kind of tell us about the day that you
1: got the phone call from Facebook, because it is a wild and amazing story. Before I got this job here, I was in a job I absolutely loved. I was at the chief executive level of a statewide network of alternative schools for girls who had experienced trauma totally right up my alley. Amazing. Thought I would be there forever. Um, I was traveling all over. I was speaking. I was at the White House literally on a monthly basis, like Hmm. all this amazing stuff. And um, I took a of my value from that and then I was in prayer one day this was like four years into the role 2017 yeah. I was in prayer and the Lord said to me this assignment is over wow and I was like what because I'm thinking like yeah. okay I have at least another 20 years so yeah. I thought I heard incorrectly so I, I prayed again because I was yeah. like this isn't right so I waited a couple days I prayed again and the Lord said this assignment is over and I was like oh wow well then what am I going to do because in my mind like this is my identity like this is what sure. I'm mean doing as this thing and so the lord told me to resign at the end of the fiscal year that was june 30th 2017 that was the exact yeah. day he resigned and this was he told me this in april so okay. the day comes and uh you know i met with my boss at one that day and i gave her my letter of resignation and of course she was like uh what are you gonna do next to sure. to tell people like i can't yeah. just be like leaving and have no explanation um but i basically was just like you know i will tell you soon that's all i said mm. And so, I finished talking with her at like 1:40 that day. And it was a Friday. Got in my car, driving home. 2:05, uh, my cell phone rang, and mm. it was an unfamiliar number. I don't answer those calls. Same. But, so I answered, mm. it and I was like, "Hello." And this woman says, "Is this Nona Jones?" And I said, "Yes." Mm. And she said, "Oh, hi. I'm calling from Facebook." This now, is crazy. Mind you, of course, like, how many of you have ever had Facebook call you? Right? Like, I've uh-huh. never had Facebook. Right. So I'm thinking this is a joke. This is a scam. But she goes on to explain that uh, apparently, you know, Mark had changed the mission of the company the week before she called me. And uh, she said that my name had been given as someone to talk to because um, the mission of the company changed to focus on community building. And she said yeah. the research shows one of the communities, really the largest community on earth uh, were communities of faith. She said, mm-hmm. but the company had never focused on that before. And uh, she was told that I would be a person who could help the company think about it. Now, mind you, I thought they were putting together like an advisory board or a committee. Um, sure. I'm like, okay, cool. I said, well, send me some right. information. I'll look at it when I get home. I get home and there's a job description yeah. in my inbox. And I was just like, what is going on? Totally. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I talked to her the following Monday and I was just like, you know, this sounds amazing. I would love to do this. But the problem was my position was based in California and my husband and I have a church in Florida and we were like, well, we're not moving. So I guess that's it. This yeah. woman says to me, well, as a company, we have a policy that you do have to live where your position is located. She said, but we believe you're the right person for this. So we'll make an exception. It's amazing. The woman I've never met, um, yeah. I didn't apply for this job. To this day, I never filled out an application. Um, <laughs> so I, I, seriously, I got an offer letter like two weeks after she called me. Uh, I had never foot on Facebook's campus until the day of my orientation. It was bananas. Um, yeah, so it's it's a god story. But the 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 takeaway from that, kind of threading it with my earlier point, is yeah. that didn't happen until I was willing to leave what I thought mattered the most that's right without a guarantee of where you were going to i thought that former job was my identity i took so much value from what i did and the platforms i was able to be on because of what i did um and it wasn't until i was ready to just you know obey god and let him be my source of my identity that this door opened up 25 minutes later It's crazy. I love that story. (laughs) So just in general, I mean, you kind of
0: gave us your title, but Mm -hmm. what is just broadly the scope of your work at Facebook?
1: (laughs) So um, I am, so I have both an internally and externally facing role. So uh, externally, I get to work with, um, you know, the most influential leaders, uh, church leaders, denominational leaders, um, uh, ministry leaders in the world. So whether that's your you know, uh, your your life churches and, you mm-hmm. know, um, your elevations and, you know, those churches and the leaders, of course, Craig Gischel and Steve mm-hmm. Furtick and uh, the denominations like Assemblies of God and Church of God in Christ, as well as yeah. organizations like, you know, focus on the family and compassion sure. international. So it's all across that. That's my externally facing role as I get to work with them to help them optimize Facebook for ministry, even though that's not yep. my job description. That's what I do. My, yep. The way I describe it is I'm equipping leaders to do digital discipleship, basically. Oh, that's good. Oh, I like um, that. And then uh, I have an internally facing role where I am essentially the voice of faith for all mm. of our policy discussions, product discussions. Um, when it comes down to who, who should we be working with to think about whatever, um, and it's a faith question, I get pulled into that conversation.
0: That's got to be an interesting needle to thread. (laughs) I can only imagine how that must feel inside such a powerful company, um, with such like different and even competing ideas about how the world probably works and faith in and of itself. Um, do you ever, does that ever feel
1: lonely to you? You know, the good thing is we have at Facebook, we have, um, we have a group called Christians at Facebook. So Hmm. the group of, um, like a, couple thousand, um, employees yeah. who are believers all across the company. And so, uh, you know, we pray for each other. Um, everyone is aware of my work. They're constantly praying for my work. Um, as a matter of fact, it's funny. I'm, uh, speaking at propel, the one, i um, speaking at one in yeah. Sacramento, California, like a whole contingent of Facebook employees are planning to go just because That's they're right. like, hey, they we'll support you. So yeah, like it's, it's a blessing that there is a community of believers yeah. there um, and so that's a great thing. And to your earlier point, you know sometimes it can definitely be challenging because mm-hmm. even though there's a couple thousand you know Christians at Facebook, that's out of like fifty something thousand people, right. Totally, <laughs> we'll to Exactly. Buck, you know uh, which means that sometimes, you know the the perspective I'm given, giving is not always understood by the policy sure. I'm working with. Um, but you know we always just uh, share truth and love and, and try to bring yeah. a perspective that again adds value. That's what matters more than anything.
0: That's it. Like I, I that's so encouraging to hear like I, I did not realize uh, your internal work at that yeah. company and and it's pretty daunting because you know being sort of the voice for a faith perspective, is challenging because it's not, a, we're not a monolith. Correct. You know, there are so many segments to that pie chart. Um, and what does that look like? So that is a heavy responsibility to sort of be the mouthpiece for the faith community in general and at large <laughs> um, to Facebook. But it's encouraging <laughs> to hear about your seat at that table and that that is... Um, a value and a and a door that is propped open um, at that company, that is actually wonderful to hear. Hey everybody, Jen breaking in for just a second. I am, as you know, a huge advocate for counseling and feel like sometimes we just need a little guidance from a trusted source who can help us look at things objectively and find a way forward. So BetterHelp Counseling, it's an online resource that offers licensed professional counselors and they're specialized in issues like depression and stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief, honestly, you name it so much more. Um, You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, absolutely confidential online environment. Uh, You can even schedule secure video or phone sessions or chats or texts with your therapist. And so best of all, it is truly affordable, which hinders a lot of us from good counseling. And so for you guys, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, BetterHelp is giving you 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So if you're needing a little help getting to that good change in your life, go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay. So one more time, betterhelp.com slash for the love using the code for the love. Okay. Back to our show. I have a couple of questions because now, so you've been at Facebook since 2017, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I can only imagine how much you've learned. I mean, this was a completely different <laughs> environment than what you were in. I mean, yeah. just you switched gears. So I, I would love to hear some perspective on a few things. Now mm-hmm. that the world has been online for a while, mm-hmm. um, we are starting to realize and track how people spend their time online and how that's evolving. You know, we're just, the data points are still so young. Um, in the in the scope of of data, but um, what are you noticing inside your company about the way that um, that people communicate with each other online right now, and um, how how has that changed from even just a decade ago? Mm-hmm. And I'm and then finally, I'm curious if you can tell us anything that's giving you some hope about where we are right now in sort of online technology yeah. and connection?
1: So I think from a, from a trend standpoint, um, what's interesting is I think right now, especially when you think about, you know, I'm a millennial, so you think about the millennial generation, you think about Gen Z, um, we're basically like an online first Uh, And like an online first uh, generation, because, you know, when we think of communication, like we don't think, hey, let's call somebody. We don't think "Hey, let's write a letter like we think, hey, let's go to Snapchat or let's go text them or, um, you know, I mean, we we have a scenario now to where people's relationships, you know, that face to face kind of real life contact is not a requirement anymore. Um, I have many friends who, you know, kind of Gen X and before they're like, if I haven't seen you in, in real life, like our relationship isn't real. And then I know uh, people in in kind of, you know, my generation and even younger, they're like, I don't care if I've ever seen you. We can be best friends. Mm.
0: That's <laughs> really an interesting and a good point because mm-hmm. like, I'm just a little bit North of you. So kind of my age group and definitely those Um, older than me, there is this almost um, imagined concern Mm -hmm. that this, this way of connecting has been lost. And so what we have right now is less than, or Mm -hmm. it's an inferior version of connection. Mm -hmm. But I really like your point that for a generation of online first, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it isn't less or inferior at all. It's what, it's how a whole generation has been raised and it's what they know. And it's Mm -hmm. no less real. And Absolutely. so I think the onus is actually on my age group and older mm-hmm. to open up our hands and stop white knuckling <laughs> the way that we grew up as a, as a superior way. Cause it isn't necessarily, Yeah, that's not, that's not really it. Now, maybe inside of online connection, there can be some unhealth. We'll talk about that in a yeah. second, but just, just on its face it's not better or worse. It's just different.
1: It's just different. And I, I feel like they can be complementary. So for example, like, you know, as you can imagine, I literally live my life online. Like that, right. oh, I work for the company where everyone's life is online. I, I live my life online. However, I also uh, regularly do handwritten notes to people just to say congratulations Mm. on something or just to say thank you for something because I believe that there is tremendous value in people having something tangible. And so Mm. I think teaching that art um, to a generation that that's their experience is so important. I mean, just imagine, yeah. you know, if you if you grew up in a in a world and I did, like, you grew up in a world where there were no cell phones. Like, I remember right. um, you had to use a payphone. Uh, sure. I remember, like, there was no email. So right. <laughs> you like, and I think about it, I'm like, man, the world continued to spin somehow. Um, I did. you know, and now we're like, oh my God, if I don't have my phone, I might've missed, I might've missed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, calm down. So I think, like you said, it's just, it's, it's not inferior. It's just different. And we have to teach, yeah. uh, those valuable aspects of communication from prior generations. We have to just teach them
0: good. Um, so for you, someone who's a, literally a master builder of community um, in every aspect, because we haven't even gotten to the part where you are also like leading an amazing church with your husband, um, I, I'm sure you've spent time thinking about this, but mm-hmm. how would you suggest that we build the healthiest communities Mm -hmm. definitely online and then also in person and those have a lot of crossover um and and how do we make sure that our online tools for connection um stay kind of above board and keep us in healthy headspace and um keep our connectivity to other people um lovely and vibrant and flourishing
1: i love this question so um you know uh, about a year ago Facebook, uh, we changed our algorithm, which there was a whole lot of like weeping and gnashing of teeth because people people were like, you know, they had built these huge like page followings and it was like, like, oh, now we're not getting as much reach. But the reason why that happened, uh, which is actually contrary to popular opinion. It was not about driving revenue. What we did was we could we actually commissioned some research and we found that there is a very strong uh negative correlation between passive consumption of content and well-being. So when people basically yeah. just like passively scroll, you know, through their news feed, they feel more isolated, they feel more depressed, they have even more suicidal. Um, because that yeah. passive consumption of content can lead to feelings of um, seclusion or feelings of I missed out on something. And mm-hmm. so the research showed, yeah, it showed that um, in order to revert, people have to be in community with each other. So instead of consuming content, when people are actually engaged in conversations, they're actually building relationships, their uh, well-being becomes positively affected by social media. So the way that the algorithm was changed is it now reflects what we call meaningful social interactions, which means people will see posts more organically if they're the type of content that drives conversation as opposed to just mm. consumption. You know, in order to make uh, the online experience healthy, the research shows people need to be in community. It's it's not mm. about me over here scrolling through my newsfeed. It's about yep. how do I connect with communities of people that are supportive, that are encouraging, that are inspiring Um, That's good. That is the main differentiator for sure.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's like a really interesting perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I've not heard that. Yeah. Um, That's news to me. I want to talk about your family a little bit. You've been married. How many years have you been married? 15 years. 15. Girl, that's no joke. I'm serious. That is no joke. Your husband is so cute. Y'all are so cute. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like we'll send everybody over to your socials. They could just see for themselves. I mean, my gosh. Um, and you have two darling sons. And so I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your family and then kind of pivoting back to where we just were. How, how are you thinking right now about not just helping your own kids, but all of our kids yeah. navigate Online culture, the, the, mm-hmm. both their relationships and what they do or don't share, and um, how do you how do you think we parent? You know, we don't have a lot of precedence for this, and I've mm-hmm. talked about this before because I've got five kids, so that's crazy, and well, they're in like college you know. and high school. It's just I know, it just I don't even know what to say. It's so many, um, <laughs> but so we're college, high school, middle, mm-hmm. and. I keep kind of looking around, like, who's going to teach me how to parent this? And we're just kind of the, the front generation, you know, raising the generation of kids who has no other concept than online. You know, that's, that's how they were raised. And so I would just love to hear your thoughts as, as not just a Facebook executive, but as a mom mm-hmm. and uh, any advice you have as we sort of parent through, um, this new space.
1: So this is such a great question. Um, and it's, it's, there's a tension there because the thing about social technology is it, it can be incredibly, um, freeing because you can absolutely connect with people that you may have, you know, missed. Um, you can even get a sense for what your children are doing. I mean, it's, it's a great yeah. way to kind of stay connected with them. Um, you know, uh, when you may have barriers to connection, but the other flip side of it is, you know, there are bad actors in this space yeah. and there are people who don't have good intentions and so what i always like to advise parents is you know don't don't maintain this i remember back in um when i was younger there was a commercial i think it was about a crock pot and what they said was like you know set it and forget it like that was their mm. what was their their monica yeah, i remember when that it comes, when it comes to social media do not set it and forget it like don't mm, don't assume that your children are mature enough, don't assume that somehow through the process of osmosis, they will have developed the maturity in order to handle um, the type of people who can have bad intentions. So, um, you know, regularly check up on their accounts. I think some of the guardrails that you'll want to set up is, you know, the truth is, people can have multiple accounts, kids can have multiple accounts. I think yeah. what you tell them is you know what, I will allow you to have one account I'm a friend on. And if I find out that you have another account that I don't know about, um, you will basically never see technology again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know Um, there's a place for a hard line here. Yeah. Because at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, this is about safety and there's been, you know, unfortunately, you know, and this is something that really breaks our heart internally is when we find out that, someone used our platform in a way to hurt somebody else. Um, and it, 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 it happens. So that's what I always suggest is, yeah, don't, don't just assume your, your kids are responsible and your kids know what to do. Always inspect what you expect. Make that's sure great. you know mommy and daddy are looking in this. Yeah. We're paying attention. Mm-hmm.
0: I remember the first time one of my friends taught me about just like some of these side accounts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I thought, well, surely that's not a thing that my kids will have. And so we we're just like casually around the dinner table. And I'm like, none of you guys have like a side account, right? Like a kind of weird bun- and all their faces were like so sheepish. And I was like, what? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, like you don't assume these pastors kids up in here don't yeah. have like a side account. And so yeah. you're so right. This is not the place to take our foot off the gas, um, mm-hmm. but to stay like yeah. kind of vigilant and connected and with it. I always tell my kids, if you have an online account, I get to be your friend. That's, That's the right. end of that story. Really? Like, I'm your friend and, and there's no discussion. So thanks for, thanks for that encouragement. Um, huge congratulations to you. You've got a book coming out in January. Um, tell us a little bit about success from the inside out and what is it about and what are you, what are you mainly hoping your readers kind of walk away
1: with? Oh, love the title um, by the way. Good job. Thank you. Um, Mm. I am so excited about this. This is a passion project because um, the book is really, it's it's my memoir and it's sharing um, essentially, you know, the little bit that I said earlier in the conversation about my childhood, it's sharing the trauma, um, but then it's also sharing the triumph. And I'm using my professional kind of um, experience as the roadmap while I'm overlaying it with um, what faith in God was able to accomplish. And I look at my life and I'm like, but for the grace of God, there go I, Mm. you know? So success from the inside out is really about helping people build a a sense of success that fills instead of empties. Um, And and that's, that's what I want is I want to teach people, you know, what I've learned on, on my journey Um, and basically how to build a life that's defined by good success and not just Mm. indicators of the trappings of success, because those trappings of success can actually trap you. Um, And that's something I learned as well. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Love it. Love
0: it. Cheering you on. (laughs) I just can't think of anybody who doesn't need that message. I was really struck by this line that you wrote. You said, I've discovered that the only thing stronger than the power trauma has to change you is the power you reclaim when you acknowledge its effect on you. And I was like, whoa, she's getting right to the heart of it. Can you just talk a teeny bit more about that? Because I think this is something that a lot of my listeners are working on and um, trying to grab a hold of in their own healing and in their own sense of
1: recovery. Absolutely. You know, um, I've I've found that we tend to use the words guilt and shame interchangeably when they're actually different. So, mm. you know, when I feel guilty about something, I I feel sorry for what I did. But when I feel shame, I feel like there's a problem with who I am. It's a person's right. identity, right? And so mm. in saying that, um, what I basically mean is that. Until you actually are willing to stand in the light of the truth of what happened to you and how you have responded to what happened to you, until you stand in the light of that truth, you're always going to live in shame. And Mm -hmm. shame has power. It has the power to silence you. It has the power to diminish you. It has the power to make you believe that you aren't worthy of love. I know so many people who have had great relationships just disintegrate because their shame made it so that they couldn't even receive love. Um, mm. And so okay. you know I, I believe in my heart that what God wants for us, and this is why the Bible describes Jesus as being the light of the world, you know, the only thing that can overcome darkness is light. And so right. my contention is simply that when we allow our trauma to stand in the light of who Jesus is, and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, that's where we, we find healing because only yes. only shame can live only in darkness.
0: Amen. And amen. It's just the greatest and simplest truth. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this. You've just accomplished so much in the past decade and it's, it's really something to behold. I'm curious, um, what are you the most proud of? accomplishing, like in the last, let's just say 10 years of your work. And if you just had to guess, and of course, who even knows, like you never would have suspected you're going to be at Facebook, but (laughs) if you were just guessing where, where would you want to be by the end of the next 10 years?
1: Mm. You know, the thing that I'm most proud of is not something that would even show up on my resume. Um, you know, because of the rapid success that the Lord allowed me to experience, um, I had a lot of just, you know, travel. I was, you know, just gone a lot. And there was a season where my oldest son uh, was starting to struggle in school. And this is when he was in, I think, first grade. He was getting in trouble a lot. He was not doing his work. And, you know, I was traveling a lot with, with my job at the time. And I remember, you know, uh, you know talking to his teacher because I was like, look, you know, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, we're doing our best. And she said to me, she said, well, Miss Jones, she said... I got to be honest. Um, you know, TJ told me that he misses you, and that you're gone a lot, oh. and that oh. crushed me. Um, yeah. To think that my son was basically acting out because I was so focused on what I thought I needed to be focused on, which was my job, that I was actually neglecting yeah. what honestly matters the most to me. Like when I when I'm on my deathbed, trust me, the only thing that will matter. Is how much yeah. time I spent with my children. And so yep. um, the thing that I'm most proud of is that and grateful for is that um, I didn't have to wait until my my child was, you know, 17, 20, 30 yeah. to learn what was happening. I was able to, you know, just make that change and say, you know what, and so the way I operate now, you know, I get invited to a lot of stuff that I don't go to. Um, sure. You know, there's conferences I'm asked to speak at that I declined because it's like, you know. Uh, I need to be home with my kids. Yep. So I'm just grateful for that because honestly, it matters more to me than anything.
0: That's so great. I pulled that exact same lever Mm -hmm. when my kids were younger and I started noticing the adverse effects of my travel. On them and on the family, and I have never regretted it, never. And there's this sort of myth of scarcity, like, oh no, if I start saying no, it's all going to run dry. You know, that I'm not going to be invited anymore, and I'm going to become obsolete. And it's just simply not true. Like, there's abundance, Um, and there's also abundance and faithfulness. And so, I I found the opposite to be true that I was. Not just renewed, but kind of overflowing at that point and and it's seasonal, you know they're mm-hmm. not little forever, correct, and so anyway, I mm-hmm. love that you made that decision, and i don't I'm telling you as a version of your future self, you will not regret it, and you're already doing a ton of ministry yeah. I mean this has a real like Heavy presence in your life as it is. Can you just sort of high level tell everybody a little bit about what your ministry life looks like?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, my husband and I, we we have a church together and uh, in Gainesville, Florida. So uh, we lead a church, a physical church, and then I also have an itinerant ministry. And so I, um, I'm just you know preaching literally the world. God has opened doors where I'm able to to speak into the lives of His people, and so that has kept me very busy, um, being able to minister all over the, the country and, um, in various, uh, locations. Yep. So yeah, that's what ministry is looking like. And then of course I love it. the book coming out to me, I see that as another ministry tool. Yep. Um, and so there's a lot, a lot going on.
0: I love it. I'm just, it's fun to watch you go. And I I love your account. I was listening to you preach this morning on some of your Instagram um, posts. I'm like, look at that. Yes. Of course, I also preach. And so anytime I see a woman in the pulpit, like I want to wave my hanky. You know, more, more, (laughs) more of that all day long. Hey guys, Jen breaking in to make a quick recommendation about a resource that I think is so great. A ton of us are juggling multiple hats, career, home, family, kids, and you may be like me when you see someone doing something really cool that interests you. You maybe just have like a, a big idea for a great business or a new venture, like maybe a side hustle that becomes a full-time hustle, but you're not sure where to start. Okay here is a great place to start. It's called Skillshare. It's basically an online community for creators. So you've been wanting to get get into photography. They have classes for that. Trying to learn more about how to use and grow social media. They have one for that too. Listen, they have more than 25,000 classes in design and business and more. It's just an awesome resource. You can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a pretty amazing offer just for my listeners. So look, for two whole months, you can get Skillshare for free. Skillshare is offering the For the Love community two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for absolutely free. So to sign up, it's easy. Go to Skillshare.com slash For the Love. And you can start your free two months right now. This is a really great way to invest in yourself, in your work, in your creativity, in your dreams, in your big ideas. So skillshare.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. Okay, Nona, we're going to wrap it up here. In this series, this is for the love of powerhouse women, which is obviously you nestle right in perfectly. Um, These are just three sort of quick, sort of rapid fire questions we're asking all the women in this series. Here's the first one. What's something that a woman you admire has taught you that you've just, you've never forgotten?
1: Mm. Maya Angelou uh, once said that people will forget what you say and they will forget what you do, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Oh, so I, I love that. To the best of my ability to leave people feeling better.
0: That's so good. Gosh, that's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> um, what's your greatest hope for the generation of women
1: coming behind us? Mm. Gosh, you know, I, I hope that, um, and this is going to, be difficult because we live in such a social media saturated world. My hope mm-hmm. is that we will stop being um, trapped in comparison with each other to where Same. we're looking at each other's you know social profiles and where we're going yeah. and what we're doing and then we feel insignificant and we feel um, like we somehow are diminished in our value. Um, my hope is that we will find our identity in God and then yeah. we will look at each other's social platforms and just celebrate each other. Like I'm so glad oh. for what you're doing as opposed
0: to seeing that as a threat. Oh my gosh, me too. This is, this. I sing this song all the time also. Mm -hmm. Here's our last question. We ask every single guest, every series this. Um, It's by Barbara Brown Taylor and you can answer it however you want. We have people give us really like tender and poignant answers and we have people give us the funniest answers you've ever heard. So (laughs) whatever you want to say, but here's the question. What is saving your life right now?
1: Oh, what is saving my life right now? is gratefulness um Mm. you know it's 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 an interesting success is an interesting beast because it's like the more you get the more unsatiated or insatiated you can become and um because you you see more success it's like the more success you get the more success you see and so um Mm. you can get to a place where you're like oh gosh but i haven't done that yet and, oh, but I haven't done that yet. And I think yeah. what God has been working um, out in me is, no, be grateful for where I have you. Be grateful for the doors that I've opened, as well as the doors I've kept shut. Like, yeah. be grateful for everything. And so what's keeping me right now is just being grateful. Starting every day as part of my devotional time and prayer time with, Lord, here's what I'm grateful for today. Uh, mm. So I can keep my mind on that and not uh, comparing to others Mm. that
0: is a good word sis thank you for that that's a perfect way to close will you just tell my listeners in general where can they find you and um, where are you Online And what are your handles, which are also hilarious, by the way? <laughs> I love your handle. It's so clever. I'll never forget it.
1: Oh, gosh. So, yeah, you can find me. My website is super simple. It's just nona nonajones.com. And all of my social handles are exactly the same. Um, and the reason they are what they are is, you know, my maiden name, when I first got married, my maiden name was Nona Collins. And no one ever... Okay. Messed up my name. But for sure, when my last name became Jones, everyone started to call me Nora because of this super famous jazz artist. And so my social handles are Nona, not Nora. That's Instagram, (laughs) that's Facebook. um, I think YouTube, you can find me there. Um, And also, if you want to, you can also subscribe. I have a weekly email newsletter. I do like just once a week, just a message of uh, inspiration for the week. You can subscribe to that by just texting the word Nona, N-O-N-A, to 345-345. It's very simple and you'll get signed up.
0: That's so fabulous. And so for everybody listening, we'll have everything Nona just said. It'll be at ginhatmaker.com underneath um, the podcast tab on this particular episode. We'll have all of Nona's social handles. We'll have links to her spaces and places. We'll have a link to her upcoming book, just all of it. So you can find all things Nona um, over there if you are driving or running on the treadmill or whatever the heck you're doing right now. Okay. Uh, Hey, thanks for being on today. I am delighted to meet you. And just the next time that we are in the same town, I would just love to buy you dinner.
1: Yay. I would love that. Yes. But I'll have to buy dessert. You You
0: can buy the entree. I'll buy dessert at least. Okay. That seems fair. I love it. (laughs) Thanks so much for being on today, Nona.
1: Thanks Jen. You're amazing.
0: Fantastic. Um, The very wonderful Nona, not Nora. (laughs) You'll want to follow her on her social media sites because it's like this fabulous combination of inspiration and snark and beauty. And it's just kind of all in there. It's a great follow. And I'll have, like I said, all those links over at jinhapmaker.com on the transcript page for this episode. So we'll have everything you need over there. Go over there, your one-stop shop. And I am delighted that you now know Nona because she's great. And I look forward to her book coming out too. So thanks for downloading you guys. Thank you for a million things you do for this podcast, subscribing, Rating and reviewing, all that is great for podcasts. Um, thank you for sharing episodes that you love. That is meaningful to me. Um, thanks for posting them on your socials. You're just a wonderful listening community. And just continue to like astound me with your loyalty and your commitment to the show and to its guests. And I cannot tell you how many of my guests have come back to me and said, I love your followers. They have followed me and they've connected with me after our interview. So thanks for being awesome. More to come in this series, you guys. I mean, we could do this series for a thousand straight weeks. There's so many amazing women in the world right now. It's such a good time to be alive. Um, Come back next week. If you haven't already subscribed, do it. That just makes this easy. That's the way that this podcast just shows up in your phone. You have to do literally nothing. So it'll take you 12 seconds to subscribe head on over there and do it great to be with you this week can't wait for the next one see you next time guys that's it for today's show hope you enjoyed this chat be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it from the whole hatmaker family i hope you have a great week and see you next time